This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. So my name is Maya Garanska, and I'm the program manager here at UCSD. Um, and we are delighted to have you here to participate in the Stein Public Lecture hosted by the UC San Diego Center for Healthy Aging. Thank you so much for coming tonight. As, you, as many of you know, the UC San Diego Center for Healthy Aging is committed to advance research on aging and to address the major challenges facing our aging demographics in terms of urban planning, technology, and health. Our topic tonight is vertigo and dizziness, and we have a wonderful panel of four speakers led by Dr. Kimberly Bell. And it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Bell. So you may remember Dr. Bell from the last year's lecture on fall prevention. Um, this time we're going to talk about vertigo and dizziness. Dr. Bell is a physical therapist with nearly 15 years of experience, um, and she's spe specializing in treating patients with vertigo, dizziness, and balance disorders. Um, She's sought by patients worldwide, and her list of accomplishments is really, really long, and I'm just <laughs> going to give you two of them. Uh, she was named the public health champion uh, by Aging and Independent Services in 2011, and she's the, uh, she has been the clinical leader of the San Diego Fall Prevention Task Force for 10 years. Um, for more information on Dr. Bell and our speakers, please refer to the flyers that are um, at the table outside. Um, and before I let Dr. Bell introduce our panelists, please join me in a warm welcome. Well, hi, everybody. It's so great to see you all. I uh, see a lot of familiar faces out in the crowd, and I'm so grateful that you all made the effort to be here tonight. I hope that you get a lot of value out of this talk. Myself and the panel have put together a lot of information for you on dizziness and vertigo. And we only have an hour for the content and then about a half an hour for question and answer. So dizziness and vertigo is a huge topic. And I've written volumes of training manuals and courses for physical therapists on the subject. But what we're trying to give you today is not the total information on the subject, but enough information to, first of all, give you some relief from your worries, hopefully. Second of all, give you some practical tips that you can do. And third of all, help you figure out where to go for more help if you are suffering with dizziness and vertigo. So hopefully this is just the beginning of this conversation for us tonight. I also want to thank the Stein Center here at UCSD for having me back for my second lecture because this is a great honor. And I honestly feel that I've been waiting my whole life to offer you this information. Before we go too far, I want to thank my two clinical mentors. Dr. Kristen Johnson is an associate professor at the University of St. Augustine of Health Sciences in San Marcos. And she's a board-certified therapist in neurologic physical therapy. Dr. Michael Schubert is an associate professor at the Department of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery, and the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. And they have been supporting me clinically as I have pursued 
this content area, dizziness and vertigo, uh, as the focus of my career. I actually, when I started off as a physical therapist in 2002, I had a lot of patients with dizziness and vertigo, but I didn't target it as the focus of my intervention. It was just sort of something that was there that I didn't do anything about to try to reduce it. And when I think back to all those patients, I do feel a little heartbroken, but it makes me realize how much I've grown as a clinician today. Dr. Johnson taught me my first course in evaluating the inner ear and differential diagnosis of dizziness in February of 2006. And I went out and saw my first patient that month, and I was able to fix her vertigo that she'd had for 20 years in two visits. And I was hooked, and I haven't turned back since. Because she was able to, at 76 years old, go back to driving, go back to having coffee with her friends, meet me out for lunch, and do things she hadn't been able to do since she was in her mid-50s. And it's a life-changing thing if you can find a clinician who's willing to work with you to target dizziness and vertigo as the focus of their intervention instead of just some kind of an inconvenience that's interfering with the treatment plan, as I initially felt when I was a beginning physical therapist. So as I thank these two individuals who've supported me and who continue to give me the confidence to take on some of the most complex, dizzy patients in the world that are traveling to San Diego to see me to get relief after 30 or 40 years of suffering, or more or less, depending on the case. And I go to these clinicians if I get stumped, and I know they've got my back. I know that they'll help me work through the difficult cases that I have. And I want to invite you to think of someone who's helped you like that at some point in your life, maybe in the past or right now. And just hold that person in your heart, an image of that person, whoever that is, and take a few breaths with me right now, thinking of the feeling of gratitude for their support. And let's just breathe together, thinking of those individuals that support us. And notice how you're already starting to feel a little more calm. That's a secret weapon that I'm going to give you right in the beginning of this talk, something that you can do to prevent the mental health overlay that often co-occurs with dizziness and vertigo, the mental health overlay of confusion and worry and nervousness and despair and hopelessness, to think about all the things in your life that you're grateful for and all those who are supporting you, because that right there is a first step towards shifting your neurology towards recovery. This is the theme of the lecture tonight. Dizziness is usually multifactorial. So dizziness is usually multifactorial. What does that mean to you? I see someone pointing at their ears, their eyes, their neck, their heart, their brain. You got it. All right. Got some smart people in the audience tonight. It means there's a lot of reasons and things that can cause dizziness. It means that if you went to a doctor and they gave you a pill for your dizziness, it's probably not the right treatment plan for you unless a specific targeted problem was found and that pill was for that specific problem. But just to treat the symptom of dizziness with a pill is something that I would um, hope that when you walk away from this lecture that you uh, feel you want to look a little deeper into the root causes and the underlying factors that are contributing to the dizziness in order to not just treat and mask the symptoms, but actually potentially resolve the whole problem and move on with your life. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Okay, so dizziness is a geriatric syndrome. Now, what does that mean? I know there's some clinicians in the room. Geriatric syndrome? Well, another example of a geriatric syndrome is frailty. Okay, these are conditions that occur with aging that are a predictable series of changes. Here's the key across multiple organ systems that present with a particular, uh, a particularly predictable set of si signs and symptoms. 
Okay, and so the problem with these geriatric syndromes and the reason why they're falling through the cracks is because they involve multiple organ systems. And in our medical care today, we've divided up the organ systems into different specialties. And that's why I feel with the methodology that I use for my patients, doing a holistic assessment, looking at the different organ systems and what might be contributing to dizziness. And then I treat my part, what's in my scope of practice, and then I quarterback my patients to other providers so they can get, hopefully, a complete recovery. And that's why I'm offering you this panel today. Because I know that if my patients are going to get a complete recovery, it usually is going to involve more than one provider because typically dizziness is occurring from problems across multiple organ systems. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, does dizziness only happen to older adults? No, dizziness can happen to young people too. I've been suffering with dizziness since I was five years old when I got my first childhood concussion. Then you have children with multiple ear infections or migraines and things like this can happen even in childhood that can cause dizziness for people. So it affects people across the lifespan, but it's the number one reason why people over 75 go to their doctor. Number one complaint. So especially in older people, it's a really big deal and especially it can cause fear of falling and falls and serious injuries. And that's why I'm here to talk to you about it today. If some of you knew what I'd been through in just the last couple weeks with regards to my symptoms of dizziness and vertigo, you might think I was having some kind of midlife crisis. But I will smile to you and say, actually, I think I've been having a whole life crisis. And the beautiful thing about it is the fruit of this experience for me is my ability to smile, even if I feel dizzy. My ability to laugh in between throwing up in my toilet and lying on my floor with vertigo. And my ability to stand here in front of you today with a lot more information than an average clinician because honestly my life depends on it. So it's with no further ado that I will introduce Camille Newton to help us with one of the most common causes of dizziness in older adults, which is to understand more about medications. Camille Newton is a medical doctor who cares for complicated and elderly patients in their homes through her medical practice, Home Excel Physicians Group. She is also an attending physician for Camp Pendleton Naval Hospital, residence in family medicine. She is board certified in family medicine and a member of the American Academy of Home Care Physicians and a Gulf War veteran. Dr. Newton is an Athena Pinnacle Award winner and honor given to exemplary female executives in San Diego for women who champion women. Let's welcome Dr. Newton. Thank you, Dr. Bell. Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Camille Newton. I'm a home visiting physician. I've been doing house calls in North San Diego County for about 10 years. And while performing house calls, I've seen firsthand the effect uh, long-term medications have on people. There was a gentleman named Malcolm Gladwell, and Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book, and in his book he said that 10,000 hours of practice and a person can become an international expert at anything. So an ordinary person like me, if I wanted to become an international uh, tennis star, if I focused and practiced for 10,000 hours, I could become an international expert. Now how does that happen? Well, when a person is practicing something, myelin starts to build up along their neurons. And it's like a coat or a muscle, and the neurons get faster and faster. When you practice that piano, those neurons start to get faster and faster. 
Every time the neuron fires, these little neurotransmitters like serotonin and norepinephrine and acetylcholine are released, and the neuron gets better and faster and better and faster. What ha- has any of you ever broken a bone and had to wear a cast? And what did your limb look like when you took it out of that cast? Hairy and skinny. Yeah, your limb, when you don't use it, it gets all skinny. Well, it's because when those muscles aren't contracting, when those neurons aren't firing, they start to atrophy. The same thing is happening with our brain. When we're, when we're not practicing, when we stop using those neurons, the opposite of practice happens. And that, neuro, and that myelin, that beautiful thick layer of myelin starts to regress and it gets thinner and thinner and the brain quits working. What I'm going to talk about today is how medications we can take are kind of like the opposite of practicing. Those medications we take are working by blocking the neurotransmitters in the brain. So I want to tell you about a patient that I had a few years ago. Her name is Jill. Her family said, we want you to see our mom. Uh, She has dementia. A lot of my patients have dementia. Um, And she's living in this memory care facility in Fallbrook. They said, we know you're a good doctor, but we hear you always take people off all their uh, psych meds. And finally, we've got my mom where she's not trying to hit people or run away. And so we don't want you to take her off the psych meds. Well, I really wanted to help Jill and I wanted to help this family. They seem like nice people. So I compromised and I said, I tell you what, I won't take her off any of her psych meds for a month. Well, I went to see Jill. I tried to perform and actually performed a mini mental status exam on her. She scored 14 out of 30. Below 23 is considered dementia. Um, She kept getting up, falling down. She fell twice on the day of my visit. Um, Staggering around, she was combative. She kept saying she didn't need me to be there. So I started talking to her daughter and trying to find out what was going on with Jill. Well, apparently two years earlier, Jill had... uh, been started on a medication called Detrol. And then over the next couple years, she had to move from her uh, own home into her son's home and live with her son and daughter-in-law and then became progressively more combative and finally had to uh, move into a memory care facility where she kept trying to hit caregivers and try to run away and they had to send her to a geropsychiatric hospital and they had her so loaded up with medications trying to make her behave. Well, I looked at the medications and I, had, I saw that she was on Risperidol, which blocks dopamine. She was on the Detrol, which blocks acetylcholine. She was on an antidepressant, which blocks serotonin and norepinephrine. She was on a benzodiazepine, which increases GABA, which goes back and affects other neurotransmitters. She was on a lot of medications. And I knew they didn't want me to reduce her um, psychotropic medications, but guess what? The Detrol's for her bladder. So I just quietly wrote a note, DC Detrol, and um, sent that to the nurse and went about my business. Over the next few months, I slowly got Jill off of all of her psychotropic medications. 
And then about three months later, I went to the facility to see her and the uh, nursing director comes to the door to greet me and says, Jill's family are in the room waiting for you. And I'm like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. So I kind of, you know, try to make myself small and humble. And I walk into the room and they're sitting there ready to jump out of their chairs. And I was very pleasantly surprised to find out that they were all there to ask me if it would be okay if Jill moved from the memory care to the regular assisted living. So I started asking them some questions. Is Jill trying to run away? Is she hitting people? Is she letting them shower her? And they said, why don't you ask Jill? So I'm like, okay, Jill. <laughs> this is the lady who basically um, was trying to hit me at, uh, two months earlier. So I said, Jill, are you letting them give you a shower? And she said, well, I don't need any help getting, uh, taking a shower, but if they want to help me, that's fine. I'm like, okay, are you trying to run away? And she said, you know, the director here has shown me a room in the regular assisted living, and I think it's really nice, and if I can move there, I would have no reason to run away. So I said, all right, Jill, if the facility thinks that you're okay to move to your own room, then you're okay to move to, move to your own room in the regular assisted living. I went to see Jill a month later. I walk into the room. I, I, I walk to her apartment, and she opens the door. She says, hello, Dr. Newton, I've been expecting you. That's pretty pleasant. Um, I walk into her room. I sit down in a chair, and I'm looking around. She said, you look like you're looking for a place to plug in your computer. The outlet is in the wall behind you. Jill was completely normal. So I did a mini mental status exam on Jill, and she was scoring 28 out of 30. 23 out of 30 is below 23 is considered dementia. Um, She was scoring 28 out of 30. Two months later, Jill moves back into her own home where she hadn't been able to live for two years. So what happened to Jill? And how did this happen? How many other people is this happening to? Well, what happened was, two years earlier, Jill had gone to her physician and said, I'm having trouble with a leaky bladder. What should I do? I, when, I, when I cough or sneeze, I get a little leaking. So the doctor starts her on Detrol. Detrol is an anticholinergic medication. That means it stops this neurotransmitter from working. Have any of you ever heard of a medicine called Aricept? Aricept is a medicine that people take because it's supposed to help their memory. Guess how it helps the memory? We're paying a lot of money for this medicine, Aricept, that increases acetylcholine, and yet we're not being warned when all these medicines that we can get over the counter from our physicians are blocking it. So she was on acetylcholine, her memory started to fail, then because of her memory and her brain not working right, she was prescribed Respiridol, which blocks dopamine. What, what severe disease do we get when we block dopamine? Parkinson. So it cre- that's why she's falling. Her neurotransmitters aren't working. She's got her dopamine being blocked. And then she's put on an antidepressant for her behavior. Do you know a senior given an SSRI like Prozac or Paxil is three times as likely to fall? And then on top of that, she was put on Ativan. A senior given Ativan within three years is 2.7 times as likely to get dementia. So she was basically 
guaranteed to have dementia. Now, what I can understand is the FDA makes the pharmaceutical companies test every medicine to see if it causes kidney failure, to see if it causes heart failure, to see if it causes liver failure. What about brain failure? You know, these medicines are causing brain failure. Why aren't they making the pharmaceutical companies test the medicine for brain failure and label it? We know they do it as a class effect. We know anticholinergics cause dementia. Benadryl, over-the-counter, Zantac. These are anticholinergic medicines that people are taking with no warning. You know why they're probably not making the pharmaceutical companies test for brain failure? It's because it's expensive. Well, Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's is the most expensive disease in America. And I lost my father to Alzheimer's. It's devastating. You lose somebody a few brain cells every day until that person is no longer the person that you ever knew. So the moral of the story and what I suggest the people here in this room do is when you go to your doctor, don't look for a prescription. Don't think that that antidepressant is just going to go to this one tiny little center of your brain and and cure depression. In fact, 50% of the clinical trials on antidepressants are no better than placebo. These medicines work around your whole brain. They're blocking all those neurotransmitters. All the 10,000, 100,000 hours, those years of practice that you've been building up all that myelin in your brain, it's like putting a psychopharmaceutical cast on your brain. So don't ask for a medicine to treat everything. And when you do have a medicine, when you do have that prescription, question it. Do I really need this? I mean, if you're psychotic, yes, take an antipsychotic. We don't want you to be dangerous to yourself or others. But we have a wonderful group of people here, therapists, nutrition, uh, vestibular rehab that can fix a lot of problems. Instead of giving meclizine, which is very anticholinergic, for vertigo, you can have some head movements or other exercises with Kim and not need that medication for the rest of your life. And you can preserve your brain. You are what your brain is. It's a pretty important organ. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Newton. And I um, personally have almost uh, had, well, you could say I almost lost my life from excessive use of prescription medications uh, about uh, 10 years ago or so. And I wrote about it in my personal story, which has been published on the Vestibular Disorders website, vestibular.org. If you want to hear about my journey uh, recovering from over-prescribing medications from multiple doctors, getting my prescriptions at multiple pharmacies, and trying to treat every single thing that's going on with me with medications. And now I have a nice, um, I would say, a diversified approach to dealing with things. And that's what I would encourage you to consider for yourselves. Along the lines of medications, I just wanted to mention the um, interactions, especially with alcohol and medications. And I do see this a lot, in, uh, especially in older adults, especially when people lose their spouse or have some kind of tragedy in their life. Um, 
and they turn to the drinking for relief. And then it does interact with our medications, so that causes dizziness for a lot of people. So sometimes people come to me because they think they have a balance problem, and it turns out what they really have is an alcohol drinking issue. And so just would encourage you to um, think about if your balance issues or your dizziness correlate with alcohol consumption as well. Um, And then uh, as far as that goes... Alcohol is also a great way to artificially induce vertigo for yourself with a hangover. Because uh, alcohol, alcohol is such a strong dehydrator, it can actually give you an artificial experience of vertigo uh, if you're not someone that normally has it. So now we're going to get into my content area a little bit more, which is my focus, which is rehabilitating people who have inner ear conditions that cause vertigo. But most of all, what I do is a comprehensive evaluation. A lot of times my patients uh, may not even see me for a follow-up visit if what I've discovered is that they need a referral to someone else. Uh, But the evaluation piece is really my gift and um, really what I offer to people. So along those lines, what I do when I evaluate people is I look at all the nearby structures, which were said by someone in the audience, to the inner ear, which is our balance system. So looking at this 3D x-ray right here, what structures do you see that would be near kind of the ear area? Just call out what you see. The eyes. Exactly. So I'm looking at people's vision. Maybe they need to get their eyes checked. Maybe they need new glasses. Maybe they have an eye disease that no one's picked up on yet. Or maybe they have normal changes with aging, so maybe they need to see an ophthalmologist. What else do you see here? The nose. Maybe they have a sinus problem, and maybe they need uh, to see an ear, nose, and throat doctor. What else do you see there? The brain. Yeah, and I screen everybody to see if they have signs of neurological disease in their brain. Maybe then they need to be referred to a neurologist for an MRI or something like that if we want to investigate it further. What else do you see up there? The teeth. Yes, and the teeth can be part of dizziness and vertigo for people. So maybe they need to see a dentist or an orthodontist if they're having issues with their teeth. What else? The jaw, the jaw joint, exactly. And that's something I really want to highlight here because the vestibular system is housed right in here. So take your fingers for me and point to your ear holes and then come right in front of that and touch that bone right there where it's nice and hard. Okay, and now relax. That's the temporal bone. That's right around here. Okay, and that bone not only houses our inner ear vestibular system, which is sort of like a hydraulic system where we can sense changes in the pull of gravity in relation to our head, kind of like an internal gyroscope. But at the very bottom of that bone, you can see right there that it it is part of the jaw joint. So people with issues with their teeth, their jaw, chewing, things like that, it can affect the inner ear. If people have chronic sinus infections, it can affect the inner ear. Okay, if people have hearing loss, that may give me an indication that maybe they've had chronic ear infections. And those ear infections can cause damage to the inner ear as well. That's what I had as a child also. Chronic ear infections, which left me with vestibular problems as well, my inner ear. So we really need to look at this whole complex and all of these things, including what's this guy right here coming up behind the jaw? The neck. Okay, we need to look at that too. So all those things really need to be looked at if we're going to figure out why someone's dizzy. And it's typically not just one reason. It's typically many, many reasons. But a lot of times they can all be addressed in different ways. Now what I tell people when they come to me to be evaluated for their dizziness and vertigo is I say, I'm confident we can reduce 
if not completely eliminate your vertigo. Because with all the different factors, if we address one or two factors, we'll reduce it. Perhaps we'll get lucky and fix it all the way. And if not, I teach them how to live with it in a way that allows them to live a full and rewarding life. Now this right here is a close-up of the inner ear, courtesy of the Vestibular Disorders Association. And this is basically what's located inside that temporal bone on both the right and left sides of the head. Now these are called the sensory end organs of the vestibular system. They're the ones that pick up the signals about the motion of the head in relation to the pull of gravity and send information to the brain. Now you can see these little crystals down here in the bottom right corner of the slide. Those crystals naturally are supposed to live in this part of the inner ear called the utricle, right there where you can see. Now through head injury, trauma, car accidents, they can get knocked loose. And guess what? Normal aging is a degeneration of the membrane where they live in the utricle. Are you surprised? No. Right. Okay, so then what happens with normal aging, even if you've never had a head injury or trauma or fallen and hit your head, is that these little crystals, they just start flaking off the membrane. And then they float down into the posterior canal most of the time. About 85 to 90% of the time, we find them in the posterior canal of the inner ear. If they, they can sometimes come on into the horizontal canal of the inner ear, and that you would feel if you were rolling over in bed. And then if, you, if the um, crystals got knocked loose during some kind of car accident, like say someone got in a car accident and hit their head on the dashboard, that force could be enough to push the crystals upward into the anterior canal. That's this one up here. That's the least common one to find the crystals. I have found that also in a number of people who practice yoga and go upside down. <laughs> um, you can have the crystals loose in one of these canals, multiple on the same ear, and you can even have them on both sides of the head, which is really common with head injuries. So the worst case I've ever seen was a woman who had crashed her car into a gas station, and she had hit her head really bad on her dashboard, and she had crystals loose in five out of the six canals. So three on one side and two on the other. She'd had an MRI, she'd had a CT scan, she'd had everything under the sun, no one could figure out what was wrong. They put her on Meclizine, sent her home, told her, good luck. And luckily, I showed up and said, you know what? Let's talk to your doctor. Let's switch your meclizine prescription to as needed instead of every day. So you can take it when you're feeling bad, but you can also skip a day for me to come over and evaluate your vestibular system. And you know what? After a number of treatments, because that represents a very complex case, she's vertigo-free. She returned to work as a real estate agent, and she gave me a really nice testimonial for my website. So the reason I'm telling you that is because she had gone and had all these diagnostic tests. She had seen all these doctors, and she just gotten information that we can't figure out what's wrong with you, so you just have to live like this. The other thing that commonly happens to people with dizziness is they go to all these different providers and they hear, we can't figure out what's wrong with you, so you should be fine. And that causes a lot of problems inside households because the spouses think, oh, maybe you're just being lazy. The doctor said you were going to be fine. You don't want to go to work. You don't want to help with the household. You don't want to do the grocery shopping. The doctor said you should be fine. They can't find anything wrong with you. What's wrong with you? Okay, and it, and it creates a misunderstanding amongst families and between spouses. And so I would encourage you, if you're someone in that type of situation, you might want to read some of my blogs because I talk a lot about, especially I just published one last week, about how caregivers can be more understanding and try to, be, try to um, ask their loved one questions more about how they're feeling instead of just focusing on what the results were of the medical tests that they've had. 
because medical tests are not always very sensitive. They don't always show everything. And actually, the literature says that a hands-on exam by a vestibular specialist is superior to MRI and CT scan in many, many situations. So as far as the inner ear conditions and the brain conditions, what those are typically going to manifest as coming on in certain positions of the head and neck. Okay, so when you have your head and your neck in certain positions or you're moving in certain directions, that's when you're going to feel the vertigo, typically if you have BPPV, which was what that last slide was showing, those crystals breaking loose. And BPPV stands for benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. What that means is when I move my head into this type of position, I'm going to feel dizzy, but then it's probably going to go away. Okay, and I'm not going to feel dizzy for the rest of the day. But with, with that condition, you only feel the dizziness or the vertigo in the provoking position. But what you do have all the time is difficulty walking, difficulty balancing, unexplained repeated falls, and a cognitive impairment that includes difficulty concentrating, reduced short-term memory, problems with executive function, decision-making, and a difficulty with what's called cognitive stamina, meaning you get tired after thinking for a short period of time. The interesting thing is when this BPPV is fixed because it's identified by a vestibular specialist and the canal that those crystals have gone floating in is found and the treatment is given, it can be fixed in one to two treatments about 90% of the time. So we want to fix this crystal. We want to get people off of the meclizine that's suppressing their vestibular system and suppressing their brain, or at least switch them to as needed with the support of their physician, then do a good evaluation of the inner ear and the brain and all the causes of dizziness that are from certain positions. Because if it is BPPV, it can be fixed in one or two visits, and then you can just move on with your life. Now, the other things that can cause dizziness in certain head positions have to do with the neck and the blood flow to the head. And Stephen Moxie is going to talk more about that in his section. So the bottom line is that if you're getting dizzy when you're moving your head into certain positions, you should see a vestibular specialist. That's what I would recommend. At least get a comprehensive evaluation. Typically, also, people feel the BPPV first thing in the morning. They roll over and wake up with it very often in the morning. Now, there are a whole lot of other inner ear conditions and brain conditions that cause dizziness, and we could spend another couple hours talking about all of them. But the main thing I want you to know is usually they're related to the position of the head and neck or movement through space. Now, let's talk a little bit about the systems of balance. Basically, we have three systems of balance. Does anybody know what they are? Vision, our inner ear vestibular system, which we have one on the right and the left. That's what I just showed you. And then we have what's called proprioception, which is our ability to sense where we are in relation to the surface we're touching. So we have that proprioception through our feet and ankles. We have it in our tendons, our muscles, and our joints. And especially, we have it in our neck. And so what happens is... The eyes gather information, the neck gathers information, the inner ear gathers information, and the feet and ankles gather a lot of information. It all goes to the brain, and the brain maps out where we are in space by comparing all this. Okay? So if we have a disease or a pathology in any of those sensory systems, like we have problems with our eyes, we have problems with our feet, we have BPPV in our inner ear, 
Or we've had um, diabetes, which is affecting the blood flow in all three areas, the eyes, the feet, and the inner ear, for example. Then that can cause an impairment in the sensory system we need to create our balance. And so in my practice, I've developed an intervention for the feet called the Bean Box, which I'll be launching as an e-course, um, I think, in April. I just filmed it last weekend. And it's to improve circulation in the feet, to improve balance. Of course, the vestibular rehab piece is to improve the, the quality of the information coming from the inner ear to the brain. And then if someone has a problem with their eyes, we would send them to get their eyes checked. The other thing is that with quick head turns, people with vestibular problems have trouble keeping their eyes focused. And so there's a close link between the eyes and the inner ear that's important to be aware of. The thing is with the brain is that if the brain is impaired, then we're going to have trouble interpreting all these sensory signals to create our balance. And that has a lot to do with what Dr. Newton was just talking about. It also has a lot to do with anxiety and worry and tension and stress. Because when we're stressed, we shift into what's called the sympathetic nervous system state. Our body starts to panic, like we're being attacked by a tiger or a lion, okay? And we cannot heal. It's impossible to heal if we're in a sympathetic state. And that's what happens if there's errors in these signals and the brain is having trouble interpreting it, is it can cause us to feel vertigo, first of all. If we have a mismatch in any of these signals, it can give us vertigo. But then that vertigo can also keep us in a sympathetic state. So it's sort of like a vicious cycle, and they both have to be addressed. We have to address the nervous system to get it out of the sympathetic state into parasympathetic, which has to do with the gratitude exercise, which has to do with smiling, which has to do with laughing and relaxing and turning off your electronics and sitting outside and enjoying the day. Okay, That has a lot to do with the nervous system. And it also... Um, we also want to get a good evaluation of the root cause of the vertigo by having all these different systems assessed. Now, if you want to artificially induce vertigo for yourself, what you can do is go to a stoplight like this. Has this ever happened to you before? And you're sitting in the left turn lane, and you're stopped. You have a red light, and then all of a sudden, the lane next to you starts to go. You know what I'm talking about? And what do you do? jam on your brake and you feel like you're going and you kind of throw yourself back and you have a little panic, right? That's what vertigo feels like for people. That's a little bit of a taste. And that one-two punch that you feel when you feel like you're moving and then you feel a little panic as a result is what happens with people with vertigo. They both need to be addressed. The vertigo itself and the nervous system uh, reaction to it in order to have a complete recovery. On my, web, I'm sorry, on my YouTube channel, I do have a relaxation breathing video that you can use um, to just help you with relaxing. But honestly, if you just sit and breathe um, at a normal pace without distracting yourself by looking at your phone or trying to do a whole lot of things, just sitting peacefully and breathing is a great way to calm down your nervous system. It's very simple. It doesn't need to be complicated. This is a light switch to show you in this example that no matter which way you flip the switch, it's always on. Do you see this? And that's what happens to our nervous system if we're living with chronic dizziness and vertigo for too long, is that that sympathetic nervous system is always on. It's dysregulated. It's called autonomic dysregulation, and it causes a lot of problems with um, everything in our body because, as I mentioned, then we can't heal. Yes, if you go to my website, betterbalanceinlife.com, in the, in the header, there's a, a link to my YouTube channel there. Yep, thank you for asking about that. 
Um, so on my website for you, I do have an educational blog. I have a link to my YouTube channel, which is all free, helpful information for you. And then I also will be launching online e-courses, multimedia e-courses, on improving foot circulation, improving bladder control, fall prevention, and dizziness and vertigo this year. And I already have filmed them, so I'm in the process of producing them for you right now to try to help you get more information. The main thing I want to leave you with today is that a lot of people think of physical therapy to just treat their injuries after the fact. If they've had a fall and then they go for the fracture rehab or whatever, I want you to start thinking of physical therapy in more of a preventative matter, I'm sorry, manner, if you can, and think of finding someone who's skilled to evaluate your inner ear and evaluate the root causes of dizziness um, on the Vestibular Disorders website, vestibular.org. Because physical therapists can help improve the way you move, but not all physical therapists are trained in dizziness, as I shared with you. Um, a lot of them don't target it as the focus of their intervention. So you want to find a specialist to help evaluate you. Now I'd like to introduce Stephen Moxie. He's been a physical therapist for more than 15 years. He excels at treating orthopedic injuries from sprains to chronic pain but has focused his career on treating complex orthopedic syndromes, TMJ disorders, which is the jaw joint, chronic pain, postural alignment disorders, and injury prevention. He is board-certified orthopedic specialist and a fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Therapy. Steve is the owner of Moxie Physical Therapy in Encinitas, California, and is an adjunct professor at the St. Augustine University for Health Sciences in San Marcos. All right, tonight we're going to talk about cervicogenic dizziness. And um, what that means, it's, it's the dizziness that's relating to the sensitive structures in your neck. Kim mentioned earlier that dizziness and vertigo, it's, it's a multifaceted problem. And one of those big regions that are sometimes overlooked because of the neurological piece of dizziness is, is the neck. And... Um, cervicogenic means uh, spine-related, or cervical spine, which is your neck. And there's, there's several theories, but we're, we're going to get to those in a minute. All right, so I want to start out with a little exercise. And um, this is what I do with my patients when I screen them. But I want to see if all of you can turn your head and touch your chin to your left shoulder and to your right shoulder. Okay. Very good. It looks like almost all of you were successful with that. Very good job. Um, now, those of you that could not do that, if you're feeling stiffness, if you're having pain in your neck, and it caused you some dizziness, those are kind of a hallmark signs of cervical genic dizziness. Um, if you were just stiff and you're not dizzy, then don't worry about it too much. But it, it's when those three symptoms happen together, um, there's a potentially a problem. So let's talk about uh, one of my patients. Her name is Anne. She came to me, uh, referred from her doctor. Now, Anne was a healthy, active North County retiree. She enjoyed biking. And ironically, she was on a biking trip to Hawaii when her dizziness came on. And most likely, it was related to the traveling. I don't know about you, but I've certainly had a stiff neck um, when, I'm, when I'm flying long ways. So Anne got back to San Diego, and she was dizzy. She couldn't ride her bike. She was frustrated. She was in pain. And her doctor diagnosed her with BPPV, as we just talked about, which she saw a neurological specialist, PT, 
And her dizziness got quite better. So the spinning that she was having got better. But Anne was still lightheaded and her neck was still stiff. And she still had some dizziness. So that's when she was referred to my office because I'm an orthopedic specialist and I deal more with the neck. And upon evaluation, Anne was nowhere close to touching her chin to her shoulder. She was about halfway limited both directions with her neck. And it hurt. And she was dizzy. She couldn't stand on one leg. So that's a pretty common presentation that we see with these patients. And now, so why does this happen? Well, the concept is simple. You can see the diagram on the left. The head is vertically aligned and it's parallel with the floor over, your, over our neck. The structures we're talking about in the neck specifically are the C1 and C2 vertebrae, which are the atlas and axis. And those are the two bones that are responsible for the rotation in your neck. Now, when there's a malalignment in those upper bones in your neck, it can cause compression on your spinal cord, on your brainstem. It can compress the arteries that we have in our neck that provides blood flow to your brain. And also, it changes our proprioception. So it changes our awareness of where our head is in space. So if our head is tilted, we're going to try to straighten our body to look straight, but then that's going to throw off the tilt of where our, body's, where our body is in space. And I brought, I don't know if you can see, but I brought a little. Here's our C1 bone. And you can see the holes on the side where our, our arteries run through and the main hole for our spinal cord and brainstem. So it's a little bone, but it causes a lot of problems when it's, when it's restricted and not in the right position. So here's a plain film x-ray. We're going to look at, this is another client of mine. And what I want you to appreciate here is the close correlation between our neck bones. So there's our upper neck, as we just discussed, the, the atlas and axis. Here's our TMJ joint, or the jaw joint. And then our, our ear canal is right above that. So our vestibular centers are all very closely related. So any change or decreased input information to that region can lead to dizziness. Let's take a look. This is another uh, one of my clients. And if we go back to the alignment discussion, so the alignment theory, look at this patient's neck alignment. Does that look straight to you? No. So this is a 3D camera system that I use in my office. It's a, it's a great tool. It helps me get some data and, and objectify what the tilt and shift is occurring in patient spines. And you can see her head is shifted 2 and 3, 2.3 2 inches to the left. And it's tilted 3 degrees to the left. So if you want to try that, go ahead. But it's not very pleasant to try to walk around with your head shifted and tilted all day. You're going to start to have some neck pain. And that's also going to throw off your ability to balance and, and how you see the world. Now, hair treatment we're going to talk about in a minute, but it was essentially realigning that upper part of the neck and improving her mobility. And you can see now this is post-treatment. She's looking much better. So this is after several sessions of manual therapy, uh, orthopedic physical therapy. And this patient is back. She had regained full range of motion in her neck, and her symptoms of lightheadedness uh, was, was resolved. So if you're having these symptoms, what, what do you do? And essentially, it's uh, a physical therapist 
that specializes in orthopedic care and that has training to move the bones of your neck and treat your neck is someone that you should see. It's usually a combined effort. Dr. Bell, she handles the vestibular component of patient's care and, and an orthopedic therapist can handle the, the, the neck alignment. I send my patients to vestibular therapists all the time and I also refer patients to neurologists because it's, I don't treat that part of the spectrum, but it's really it's that, it's that um, multi, multidisciplinary team approach that, that takes to get these patients better. Okay, so what, will, what can you expect? Well, the physical therapist will start out with a physical exam, and that usually involves using their hands to check the mobility of your neck. They will probably do a balance assessment, looking at single leg stance or some other objective test. And then, of course, looking at your proprioception, and that's how you're able to stand with your eyes open, eyes closed. And based on the exam, the treatment goals are essentially the same, and it's improving the normal biomechanical function of the neck. So treatment will consist of the therapist stretching your neck. A lot of our muscles that connect our, our head to our shoulders, so tightness in those regions also can lead to stiffness as well. So it's not just the bones of the neck, it's also the muscles. So treating the muscles are very important. Uh, the therapist will give you exercises. Exercises for your neck are helpful and also for your legs. Because once you learn to have your head moving better, then you also usually have to retrain the rest of your body how to walk and stand again. Alrighty. Well, what else can we do? As I mentioned before, cervical-related dizziness is typically an alignment or a compression problem in the neck of some sort. And alignment issues just don't happen uh, part of the time. It's usually all of the time. But there's, there's things we can do during the day that make a big difference. I don't know if you're aware of this, but sleeping on your stomach is actually very, very dangerous for the uh, blood supply in your neck. If you're sleeping on your stomach, then you have to have your head turned. So the older you get... Uh, the more uh, risky that can be. So typically side sleeping is safer or sleeping on your back. And you can see also positioning the pillow so your head is in alignment with your body. I have patients bring in their pillows and you'd be surprised. It's just a thin pillow and they're sleeping with their head crooked all night. And they wake up and they're having neck pain and some dizziness. So simple thing is getting the right pillow can help. Next, we're looking at our alignment when we're at the computer. So if you're straining your neck, looking forward, looking at, at the screen, eventually you're going to lead to some strain in your neck. And then I don't know if anyone ever uses this thing, but using your cell phones. Uh, has anyone read, heard of text neck before? There's, there's been, yeah, so head down and twisted. If you're spending most of, a lot of time on your phone, that can cause a twist in your neck and eventually lead to some problems. So a simple fix there is just lift the phone up to your eyes, uh, not your head down to the phone. So those are just a few examples of how our neck alignment throughout the day can really affect um, our functioning and, and how, we're, how, we're, uh, how we're moving. So she's doing the right thing sleeping there? Yes. With her hand up there? That's not ideal. What I wanted to illustrate is that her head is straight with her body. The hand is okay up there, right? It's okay. Ideally, you would want just a pillow doing all the support. All right. Well, here we go. Here's Anne. Let's go back to Anne. Yeah. So after one visit, Anne is back on her bike. She, 
doing a wheelie. So it, it took about one, it took a session to get her mobility back in her neck. And then it took about another week or so for, her bo- for the dizziness to resolve. So I'm happy to say she called me a week later and said, Doc, thank you. The, the dizziness is a lot better. I'm back on my bike, and I'm, uh, I'm happy to have met you. So it was, uh, it's, it's, uh, those patients like that make me love what I'm doing with, uh, with this career. So uh, thank you very much, and uh, we're going to bring out the next speaker. Thank you, Steve. And actually, that was that x-ray you saw, that was my x-ray, because I'm his patient. So he just didn't want to share that, but I'll share that with you. You've now gotten to see inside my head. Um, okay, so our next speaker is Diane Kusunose. She's a licensed physical therapist, a licensed biofeedback therapist, and a certified nutritionist with 35 years of experience in physical therapy. Diane became a licensed biofeedback practitioner so she could make food and natural remedy recommendations to facilitate well-being. So please join me to welcome Diane, our final panelist. Thank you, Kimberly, and thank you all for your valuable information so far. It's been really great. My presentation today is going to be on the physiology of dizziness. I will include uh, just some basic normal physiology, I'll uh, also talk about five factors that can derail our physiology. There'll be underlying causes of dizziness. And I'll also uh, bring some solutions to your attention, some food and uh, supplement solutions to your attention. And lastly, I'd like to share some websites where you can actually seek a practitioner who may do physiological assessments that I do and also make nutritional recommendations if you're not in the area. So let's start by talking about the definition of physiology. Does anyone want to give it a stab? Okay, I'll take over. The the definition of physiology is it's a a branch of biology that deals with the function of the body. So we're going to be talking about function of the body, um, and not just that, but also the parts of the body. So we're going to be looking at organs, the brain, uh, cells, and tissues. Okay, so what, is it, what does the body need in order to function normally? It needs, but we need two functions. So we're going to go for functions, but those are good, good answers. So two functions. First function is the body needs to bring in healthy food. We have to eat healthy food, healthy food choices, and we have to be able to absorb that healthy food and bring it into our cells because the purpose of eating is enjoyment, number one, but also, number two, to create energy. It's our fuel, right? So the second function of the body is to clear toxic load away because we, as a machine, we do create toxic load, and we breathe in toxic load, and we eat toxic load. So our liver has a big job. It has to get rid of it. We have to clear toxic load through the liver and then out the excretion organs of the body. So what can happen to the body that derails this? There's five factors that I look at in my practice. I look at chemicals, heavy metals, microbial challenges, I look at food sensitivities, and including some environmental allergies, and then I look at scar tissue on the body. We have a uh, very large excretion organ called our skin, and scars can actually interfere with the function of the body. 
So those are the five factors that I assess. I have assessment tools that I use. I have a Zyto Pro biofeedback system. I have questionnaires, symptoms. I look at a lot of symptoms, uh, metabolic surveys, and I am a proficient nutrition response tester. And I also look at some of the blood labs. I want to look at the chemistry and the energy of the body and see what's going on when I assess people. And assessing, you know, for lots of things, but particularly for, as our topic is today, dizziness. So I have this diagram here regarding health. And health is, maintaining our health is not easy. It's a juggle act. We've got a lot of balls in the air. We have nutrition here on the bottom. And uh, I like that because it's the base. If we don't have good nutrients coming in, our health is going to start to wane. And we are going to have, we're going to be dropping some balls because it's going to be hard to hold them all up if we don't have a body that's bringing in nutrition. So I'd like to acknowledge at this point in time a normal uh, inflammatory response of the body. So if, if you sprain your ankle or you bruise your arm, there's going to be an inflammatory response that happens locally. So you're going to get a bruising, you're going to get redness and turn purple and so forth. Your, your ankle might swell. Um, you do your ice elevation, you go to a physical therapist, and in time it, it heals and that swelling goes away. But there's also swelling in the body that's called a systemic inflammatory response. And that means that if you have inflammation in one area, it's not just local. It actually goes to other areas. And I'll bring to your attention a wonderful book called uh, Grain Brain. It was written by David Perlmutter and Christine Loberg. And it's about inflammation in the gut and its relationship to the brain. So if you're taking in sugars or taking in inflammatory grains that are inflammatory to you, because they're not inflammatory to everybody, but if we're taking in some gluten and some sugars and we get gut inflammation, that will affect the brain. We have barrier systems in our body, three barrier systems, the blood-brain barrier system, the gut barrier system, and our upper respiratory system. Those are all mucosal linings that protect us from environmental hazards. And if you have a fire, so to speak, or inflammation in one area, it can translate into inflammation somewhere else. So uh, Grain Brain is a great book because it correlates that for us and, and gives us a lot of really great information. Grain brain? Grain. Grain, yeah, grain, G-R-A-I-N, and then brain, B-R-A-I-N. <coughs> so if I impress upon you anything else, um, we already had a little bit of information about how important the brain is. We only have one in a lifetime. We don't get another chance. There's no replacement parts for it. So we do need to make good, sensible choices, food choices, and, and try to keep the chemicals out of the brain and really preserve our brain. This is a vertebral chart that I use daily in my practice. It sits over my desk. And I refer to it often with my patients when I'm zyto testing, um, looking at stressors in the body. The zyto biofeedback is a stress assessment tool. And it includes the vertebrae, the teeth, meridians, and organs, and cross-references them so I can see where stress is going on in the body. And then I refer to this chart so people can see the neurologic relationship of the vertebrae to the organs. And it's, it's, it's really fascinating. And I'm going to refer back to uh, Dr. Stevens' presentation of C1. 
So if we look at the very top of the vertebrae, C1, what does it say right next to it onto the side? It may be a little blurry, but it says it's food sensitivities. Food sensitivities and environmental allergens. So as we are you know, out in the world experiencing it, breathing in chemicals, um, taking in electrical pollution, eating processed foods, uh, MSG, uh, artificial sweeteners, genetically modified foods that are inflaming our gut, we're going to see C1 go out of balance. It can be subluxed, it can be rotated, it can be uh, pulled off with the muscles, like uh, Dr. Steve was telling us. So and we can, then we can also see some of the other relationship to the organs. We've got the small intestine at, at thoracic 10. We've got adrenal stress at thoracic 9. Uh, ileocecal valve, which is in the gut at L1. So I'm going to be looking at you know, how, how the body is presenting stress and then trying to find the factors that are involved as well as the solutions. How do we fix this? How do we put in the right things so that this, this body can start to repair? Back to the grain brain piece of it, I commonly see brain fog as a symptom in my office. People go, I just can't think. I, don't, you know, I can't think like I used to. I can't remember things like I used to. So that's the part of the food sensitivities. It's very well connected with, with the brain fog and the gut. So how is this for your next meal? <laughs> I wanted to put this up here because uh, I do want to bring, bring to your attention sugar. We have uh, an ever-growing industry of sugar in a lot of our foods. And we are eating so much, and we have no concept of it. We don't just you know, consider it as candy and baked goods and, and cookies and so forth. If we start to label read, we're going to find a lot of sugar in some of our common foods that don't require sugar, actually. So um, I'd like to encourage you to label read and uh, try to keep the sugar content down. Sugar causes dizziness. It causes a lot of symptoms, and we'll get into that a little bit further. So when I'm looking at and assessing dizziness, I'm going to be looking at symptom pictures that come into my office. And some of the common things associated with dizziness are going to be uh, blood pressure, either blood pressure too high and actually blood pressure too low. Um, Blood sugar levels, they can be hypo or hyper or vacillating back and forth. That's the uh, insulin resistance, diabetes type 2. Uh, people who have to eat you know, commonly every couple of hours because they get dizzy and they, they can't think um, without food intake. Uh, there's adrenal dysfunction, so stress, cortisol levels, either too high or too low because our adrenals will fatigue after a while. Uh, I'll look at kidney function, too. Sometimes simple dehydration can cause dizziness if we don't take in, in enough water. Uh, also, it can be water retention, swelling, swelling in the limbs, and so forth. So we need to look at the kidney in relationship to dizziness. Also, I look at liver and gallbladder. The liver has a big job, right? It has to get all that toxic load out. And we, sometimes it doesn't have the nutrition it needs in order to do that for us successfully. And the last thing I look at, again, is uh, we've already talked about a little bit, is the uh, gut flora balance. If we don't have gut flora balance, if we're inflamed in our gut lining, we are malabsorbing. We're not bringing in the nutrients we need for the machinery of the body to work. So now you're empowered. There's a fork in the road. And we have some choices. We can either go to the right fork 
which is going to be organic green food, organic fruits, but they're anti-inflammatory. So remember we talked about inflammation? So we have solutions. We can go, we can go green and healthy and organic, or we can go to the left fork, which is going to be inflammatory fats and, and no nutrients at all. So uh, also to the right fork, that wasn't in the picture that I want to add, is um, does anyone know what the one anti-inflammatory supplement is for the body, the best one? For Good job. Fish oils. Omega-3 essential fatty acid, fish oils, or flaxseed oil is another form of omega-3s. So those are anti-inflammatory. So if I, come, if I have people in my office that come in and, and they, they have a lot of inflammation going on, I'm going to look at what are they taking in their essential fatty acids because our food intake has too much of the left fork. We have fats that are inflammatory. They inflame us. And we need to get the anti-inflammatory foods and fish oils or flaxseed oil into our diets. They help our brain because <laughs> our brain is like 80% fat, right? So we need to support it with essential fatty acids. The key word there, essential, okay? It is essential for our brain health. I have two success stories that I would really love to share with you. Um, and they're, they're, they're simple. I, I, I like to keep things simple in my practice, even though health is complex, correct? So the success stories that I have, the first one is a, a, actually a young male, 30 years old, and he came in uh, complaining of a, like a glue ear. He described it as a glue ear. There wasn't a lot, of, a lot of pain associated with it, but he felt like it was blocked and he could hear like popping going on in his ear. And uh, it, it was just disorienting, you know, causing him some dizziness and discomfort. So I analyzed him with the uh, stress test on my Zyto biofeedback, and I did nutrition response testing, which is muscle testing. So I have food kits that I, that I muscle test people with, and found that he was very sensitive to dairy and to gluten. So I redirected his eating program and gave him some you know, optional foods to, to eat instead of those foods. Got him off of those and put him on some digestive enzymes. So enzymes are uh, if you take them with food, they help to break down the food and make it micronutrients so you can absorb it, which is what we have to do to get it in, right? Um, so I put him on digestive enzymes, but I also put him on some enzymes uh, first thing in the morning and last thing at night because enzymes can be another anti-inflammatory for us. So in about six weeks, with changing his diet and taking the digestive enzymes, he came back and reported that, that he had like, like one big final pop in the ear, and, it, and then it was gone. And he, uh, he didn't have glue ear. He wasn't, didn't, wasn't feeling dizzy. His disorientation had cleared. So um, that's a, just a, a really simple one, but very powerful. Then uh, my second success story is regarding a, an 82-year-old gentleman who was having... Uh, dizziness during the day, but primarily at night when he needed to get up and urinate. So he had a frequency of urination that was disturbing him and then he during the day and night and uh, dizziness associated with it. So we talked about how much fluid intake he was taking in, in the day and he admitted that 
that since he didn't want to go to the bathroom so much, he was actually holding back on his fluid intake. So we talked about the recipe for your need for water, and that is half your body weight in ounces per day, give or take a few. But with him, what we did was we put a pinch of sea salt into his eight ounce cups of water. So what is sea salt? It's a mineral. It's a mineral. So we put a little bit of minerals, just a pinch, it's, so it wasn't, you know, didn't taste awful. And uh, what that helps to do, though, is getting minerals in the body, it helps the body retain or hang on to the water. So in a couple of weeks, he came back, and he had, uh, his dizziness was gone. He had been drinking plenty of water. We, we kind of restructured his drinking of the water so that it wasn't so disturbing to him in the evening. And uh, the dizziness was gone. So sometimes it can be something as simple as dehydration and not bringing in enough water and not having enough minerals. So, salt is in the first glass of water in the day or all? Each one. A pinch of sea salt. Yeah, very important. And, and even um, pink sea salt or Himalayan sea salt is going to be your better mineral source. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to seek help. We have a great panel here of people who work with the structure of the body, the structure of the vestibular system itself. Camille was amazing in, in uh, advising us to, to stay away from the chemicals and preserve our brains. In my practice, I have people I co-refer. I have an organic skin care esthetician. <laughs> Say that fast three times. And she is amazing. She has all chemical-free facials and substances because what do we put into our body when we have our makeup and our skin care and our sunscreens and everything? It's, it's chemicals right on our biggest excretion organ. So uh, I co- we co-refer together. And then we also have uh, Marnina Reed, who's a holistic health practitioner. And she works with the anxieties and depressions and the um, counseling for you know, concepts of communication and, and family and um, relationships. So a lot of co-referring there, and now I'm familiar with Dr. Moxie, and I, it's, it's going to be great to co-refer for structural issues. So please seek. Seek your professionals. They're out there. And, and the good ones will co-refer, because as practitioners, it's really difficult for us to do everything. But if we're working as a team and you can find one of us, then you're going to be you know, inducted into the, into the team. So there is a new life. There is a new life waiting for you. There are answers. There are people that are seeking, uh, practitioners that are seeking information for you. The uh, vertebral chart that I showed you is courtesy of Standard Process and an organization called the International uh, let's see, IFNH. Inter- international, it's an international program for nutrition and health. And they have a uh, website that can, practitioners can order that. And they also do standard process and IFNH do programs to teach practitioners to assess people's physiology for dizziness and bring nutritional supplements into their practices. So there is hope out there. It's, it's a growing industry. So thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, so you've heard 
from myself and three different panelists, and I just want to be clear that um, dizziness is that feeling of lightheadedness that they're sort of describing, that sort of brain fog. And then the vertigo is the piece that has to do with a false sense of motion when you're otherwise still or a distorted perception of normal motion. So that's kind of the way we distinguish the dizziness and vertigo when we talk about it. But a lot of times people just say dizziness and they may mean either one. Okay. So regardless whether you think you have dizziness or vertigo, I would highly encourage you to, number one, talk to your doctor about it. Make sure your primary care doctor knows. Seek out a vestibular specialist to do a root cause evaluation for you. If you also have neck pain or jaw clicking or jaw pain, certainly go to an orthopedic physical therapist to have your neck evaluated, your jaw evaluated, and and perhaps look deeply into your nutrition to see what you can do to heal yourself with food or better food intake. Now, I want to finish tonight's talk with a story of a dear friend of mine and a very loving and amazing man who uh, did depart last year. He transitioned through the end of his life last year. His name is Brother Fop Day. And um, one of my favorite quotes from him is when he would pick a flower and look at it and say, I wonder who designed this flower. And I want to share with you about his story because I've seen so many people with dizziness and vertigo get angry and get bitter and start being mad at the world because they're so miserable. And I tell you, I've gone through it myself. And if you read my personal story, you'll see I've struggled with anger myself because it is frustrating not being able to go to work. It's frustrating not being able to drive myself. It's frustrating not being able to keep social plans with my friends and losing friends for multiple cancellations, right? It makes me angry sometimes, but Brother Fop Day taught me a lot about how to manage my anger. And I would highly suggest if you're dealing with anger or despair, hopelessness, worry or nervousness about your dizziness and vertigo, that you do talk to somebody about it, that you do talk to your doctor or seek out mental health support. That is very important. But what I want to share with you about his experience with dizziness is that he, first of all, he called me right away. Uh, Well, I was connected with him through a friend right away. And as soon as I went to see him, I noticed a difference about him than any other patient I'd ever seen. And the difference was he never had a moment of self-pity. He never had a moment where he shed a tear. He never had a moment where he said, why me? Why do I have to go through this? No. Instead, he kept his attitude of one of curiosity. He kept an attitude of enthusiasm. He continued to advocate for himself. He, as soon as he started feeling better, and now when I went to see him, what do you think the top two things I found that were making him dizzy? Medications side effects and multiple medication changes in one week plus he had BPPV right so with Dr. Newton's help we got his medications squared away I treated his BPPV and it was resolved and the thing that did wonderful in his case is he went right back to physical activity and that's a really key point because dizziness causes people not to be able to exercise and it causes physical deconditioning as a result you have to stay strong to stay alive and so the thing I loved about him was as soon as we got him feeling better, we, we fixed his medications and we treated his inner ear BPPV, which is the biomechanical problem of that crystal in your inner ear being out of place, he immediately went back to activity. He also um, had a plant-based diet that was very healthy. 
He focused on his friendships, which were a huge source of support. He kept a cheerful attitude to avoid pushing people away. And so people just really literally surrounded him with love through his whole experience. And then once uh, we did fix his dizziness with the, with the head motion he was having, that was from the BPPV, he called me back later and he said, now I'm only get, getting dizzy when I go rollerblading. <laughs> and when I climb the stairs... And I know that sometimes people get dizzy when they climb stairs or walk up inclines if they have bifocals, trifocals, or progressive lenses, because that can cause dizziness with walking up stairs, hills, or inclines. But in his case, he didn't have bifocals or trifocals, so I knew it was from his heart, because he was getting dizzy with physical activity, rollerblading, and the stairs. And he knew it too. And so we walked through that journey together. And I'll tell you, it was such a beautiful experience. I learned so much from him that inspired me to keep smiling, to keep cultivating my friendships, to keep approaching this problem in my own life with enthusiasm, with curiosity, and with a smile on my face. And I would encourage you all to do the same because it's a much better way to live than to be dizzy or spinning and also be upset or angry. So I just encourage you to follow our brother Fop Day's lead. And as you pursue the mystery of dizziness and vertigo in your own life and you unravel it, try to keep a smile on your face and try to be grateful for those who are supporting you because you look fine to them. And so you need to tell them with your words how you're feeling, and you need to say thank you to them, because to them it's very confusing when you look just normal and you look like your beautiful selves. So thank you all for your time. We really appreciate this uh, attention, and we hope that this was valuable for you. Um, If you have any questions, you can reach all of us through our websites, um, moxiept.com, naturalbalancing.com for Diane. My website is betterbalanceinlife.com. Um, And now we'll take some questions. So what we'll do for the panel is... uh, What we'll do for the panel is I'll hear your question and I'll repeat it to make sure I understand it. And then whichever panelist wants to answer it will come up and take the question. So um, let me... Yeah, go ahead. So the question is, when I go like this... Now, if you said I go like this and I start spinning, I'd say, let me look at your inner ear. But But you're saying you go like this and your neck bones are cracking and it doesn't feel good. I think that's going to be a good one for Stephen Moxie. And that's what causes the fact that I don't see straight. And that causes the fact that you don't see straight. Okay, so that's an orthopedic question. So let me step aside and... We'll have an answer here about audible cracks in the neck. Yes, you're not alone there. That's it's called joint crepitus. And uh, <clears throat> sorry, um, yes, what you described—it's very common. It's called joint crepitus. Um, it, it, it can be a sign that something is malaligned, or there is a hypo or a tightness in the neck. Um, it can also just be a sign that uh, the joint capsule is inflamed, or part of the, the there's some inflammation in the neck. Um, now, when, when is it all the time for you, or is it certain times of the Mostly. day? Mostly. Just about all the time. Okay. The, the next step would be just to get an x-ray, a, like a plain film x-ray, and have them... The bones are mm-hmm. not aligned, right? Yeah. And then, and then come see someone like me or, or a manual therapist that can evaluate your neck mm-hmm. to see what the alignment and the, and the mobility disorder uh, may be. 
Thank you, Steve. So I think I think the key point there was to find what's called a manual therapist. Okay, so I'm a musician. I play musical instruments with my hands, so I don't crank people's necks like Steve does. Okay, I fix their dizziness from their inner ear by moving their head around, and I give them exercises to fix that. But you want to find a physical therapist that says they're a manual therapist that is able to, with their hands, assess the, all the bones in your neck and the relationship between those bones. So that's a specialty. It's a focus within physical therapy. Yeah, I'll actually, I'll, I'll actually answer that if you don't mind real quick, and then I'll have you answer it too. So the question is about um, when you're actually having a vertigo attack. We've discussed meclizine can, is anticholinergic, which the key thing with meclizine is that in the short term, it is recommended to take meclizine for the first 48 hours of an acute attack of vertigo just so that you don't fall, basically, and you can have a decent quality of life and you're not throwing up the whole time. But the, the problem with meclizine is short-term that side effects are dizziness, drowsiness, and blurry vision. So for a lot of people, it causes them to fall as soon as they start on meclizine, okay? And then the long-term problem, if you take it long-term, is the damage to the brain that can cause dementia. So it's not a bad thing to have around to use as needed or for the first 48 hours. It's just a, the problem I see is that I've seen people that have been on it for 10 years, okay, because nobody ever thought to evaluate the root cause of their dizziness. That's the problem is really the short-term risk of falling because of the side effects and then the long-term problem with the brain. Um, it also, meclizine also limits your final level of recovery in vestibular rehab. So if someone's on the meclizine, they won't have as good of a recovery because it suppresses the central nervous system. That's how it works. Okay, so as far as the giving of the Valium or Ativan for somebody like that, I have seen that also in the emergency room. Sometimes they don't give people a Meclizine, they give them Ativan, and I don't know a lot about that, so I'm going to step aside and let Dr. Newton answer that part of the question, okay? Thank you, Kim. Um, I agree with Kim 100% that these medications are I agree with Kim 100% that these medications are something that probably isn't going to cause a lot of problem if you give them rarely or occasionally but what happens is when people have BPPV um, they have little crystals in their middle ear and there's really a few treatments with Kim and they can be cured but they could end up with 10 years of these medications. So if you're comparing um, a benzodiazepine like Ativan, a one-time use of Ativan or a couple times of using it isn't a big problem, but these medicines are very addictive. So the number one reason, or the, number, the top two medications people break into pharmacies to steal are benzodiazepines and narcotics like Vicodin. Uh, Xanax and Vicodin. Um, the other is that even though they're addictive, they don't make people happy. So a senior taking a benzodiazepine is four times as likely to commit suicide. A young schizophrenic is five times as likely to commit suicide. These medications are often used to treat people who have um, lost a loved one. I, uh, last year, saw a lady whose daughter died 20 years ago. She was on three different benzodiazepines and she cried every single day. It was like her daughter had just died. I saw this study that showed that when they gave young soldiers a benzodiazepine and then tried to acclimate them to a stressor for PTSD, they never acclimated. So this woman 
her brain, her ability to accept her daughter's death never happened. It took me months to get her off the three benzodiazepines. A year later, I can visit her and I can go through the whole visit and she isn't crying about her daughter's death. She has some dementia because the other problem with benzodiazepines is a senior takes them within three years, they're 2.7 times as likely to get dementia. So that could all be avoided if somebody went to someone like Kim for their BPPV and a few very simple treatments by a person trained in vestibular rehab. They basically just turn their head and they cure them. It's, it's, and the people that I've sent to Kim, they think Kim is the greatest miracle worker in the world. The reason I fell in love with Kim <laughs> as my favorite physical therapist ever is because she cured so many of my patients and I didn't have to put her, uh, them on these types of medications. I wanted to make a quick comment to the first gentleman. Um, so Dr. Moxie is, is talking about the structural issues that are going on. So my job is to find out why that degeneration or that inflammation is there. So I'm going to look for underlying causes. So that's why we would team up you know, really nicely together, because someone would be working on the structural aspect, assessing that, and then someone would be going, well, why is there inflammation here? Why is that C1 or C4? Is it a thyroid issue? Is it a food issue? Is it a chemical, a heavy metal? What's, what's interfering with your body that that inflammation is there? Okay? So she says she's had vertigo for over 20 years, and she gets it when she wakes up in the morning. So what does that sound like? BPPV. The inner ear crystals are the ones that are going to give you the vertigo when you wake up in the morning, okay? And that usually goes away as the day goes on because your brain is just over it, okay? But then as you go to sleep and your brain has a chance to rest, it notices the vertigo again when you wake up in the morning very commonly. So I'm not surprised that you were diagnosed with crystals in your ears, okay? And that, that all makes sense to me, what you're saying. And uh, what, what I would say to you is remember the theme of the lecture, Dizziness is usually multifactorial, okay? So you probably do have those crystals, which we could probably reposition for you back to home base in one or two treatments on average. If you have a difficult case, maybe a couple more treatments than that, okay? You could have an inner ear condition that could cause you to have what's called refractory BPPV. That's what I have in both of my ears, okay? Because I had chronic ear infections as a child. So I have left hearing loss and right side vestibular hypofunction. What that means is I have damage in both of my ears and I get recurrent BPPV in both ears. So I wake up with it in the morning a couple times a year, okay? And I just treat myself and I move on with my life. So in your case, we would want to find out, do you have refractory BPPV? Do you have just like a single episode BPPV? And we wouldn't know that until we heard a little bit more about your history, okay? Um, but the BPPV should be able to be treated in a few sessions, yes. But the other factors that you may also have, like maybe your body sympathetic nervous system is overstimulated because you've had this now for 20 years, okay? There may be other things that also may need to be addressed for you to have a complete recovery. And I can't tell you that unless I would have a chance to do a comprehensive assessment on you to come up with a list of all the things that are contributing to your discomfort and then what we would do about it, whether we would address it or refer you to someone else, okay? And then your question about if we did fix your crystals, would they be gone and fixed forever? 
And the answer is unfortunately no. BPPV has a recurrence rate of about 15% annually and it's cumulative year over year. So if I were to be able to fix your vertigo this year, 15% chance you get it within a year, 30% chance you get it within two years, 45% within three years, and you can see basically there's almost 100% chance you're gonna get it again within seven years, okay? But I put together for you the fact sheet on BPPV so you can learn more about it because what I've found is people like us that have BPPV and get it and have had it for a long time, the more they know, the less they worry, okay? So I would encourage you to not worry about it because it's a biomechanical problem. It's not a disease process and it can be fixed. But we wanna have that comprehensive evaluation for you because there's probably other things also contributing to your dizziness. And we wanna educate you on, on what you need to do um, to sort of screen yourself for BPPV or to be aware if it comes back so that you don't have it for a prolonged amount of time and you can get it fixed right away within a few days if it ever comes back, okay? Does that make sense? Okay, great. Okay, and uh, thank you all so much for your time and attention. We really hope this was valuable. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.